Welcome to the Collide Podcast. We're a growing community of everyday gals colliding with Jesus in our mess, our pain, our joy, and our stories. We value showing up as we truly are, so that's what you'll find here. Walls and masks being torn down so that we can allow Jesus to meet us where we truly are and hear about other women doing the same. We can't wait to collide with you. And I would just sit and I would just go, you already know. So what do you want to talk about? And I would sit in the you already know. Uh, Sometimes, sometimes even though I said you already know, I didn't quite believe that. So I would be like, just in case you don't know, uh, I have this and this and this, and I'm worried about this and this. So sometimes I had to remind myself that he already knows. Um, But I also noticed what happened with that time is that when you get quiet, you start walking around the chambers of your heart and you start coming across the places that you feel a lot of shame. And I had to bring the you already know to my feelings of shame and realize that that still wasn't um, enough to remove me from God's love. And the you already know, it became less about the, the details of a daily life. It became more about the, the, the ongoing presence of love that I can't get rid of. Hey friends, so glad you hopped on the Collide podcast today. I am super excited to let you in on an interview I had with Scott Erickson. He is a longtime friend of mine. We used to do ministry together. He's an artist, an author, a performance speaker, and creative curate who does really interesting work. He just came out with a new book called Say Yes, A Liturgy of Not Giving Up on Yourself that actually came from a show he's been doing where he's been traveling the nation doing these live performances. And he actually opens up pretty candidly in this interview about how he got the vision for this show in this book. And it actually came from his own place of pain and grief where he found himself one night sitting on his toilet in the bathroom crying for like an hour and trying to figure out what it is that was causing him to cry. And he shares that it was this moment in time where he realized that his life is not what he wanted it to be. And I think you and I can resonate so much with having those moments where we realize that things aren't how we wanted them to be. And what do we do now? And he talks about this invitation to say yes to not giving up on ourselves and on our dreams. And so I hope that you enjoy this interview. I think it's going to bless your socks off to just listen to him share how his work came to be and how God's using it as we engage this conversation He shares that our darkest moments are actually doorways to a deeper conversation about who we are, why we're here, and how the future bursts with possibilities if we're willing to say yes to the gift of life on the other side of the death of a dream. So I hope that today as you listen to this interview, you are given more hope 
to say yes to not giving up on yourself and your dreams. Enjoy. Scott, I am so glad that you hopped on the podcast today. You and I have been friends. We were just talking offline since we were practically babies. And now we're looking at each other's faces going, wow, we've been through some life. But some I, lines. I feel like I've watched you go from this young man, you're an intern at a ministry that I was also working at, and we were total goofballs together, but to see what God's done in your life. And you always had this curiosity about you. We, you'd come in my office and we'd sit for, we were probably supposed to be doing other stuff. And, we'd oh, yeah, sit, we would just and you'd talk. just be like deeply asking <laughs> questions about life and Jesus and faith. And I loved every minute of it. Because you at 26 had the answers. So oh, yeah, I, right, just... right. I was like three years older. Now you're way older than me. You're like an old soul. and But uh, it's been so cool to see that curiosity and that hunger grow into impacting so many people's lives who also share some of the same curiosity and hunger that you have and you're doing amazing things in the world and having you hop on here today and talk about them is pretty fun. That's great. So far, this is a great podcast. Thank you for, <laughs> for all the kind words. Hey, Thank you, you everybody for showing up. Hope you have a good, hope you enjoy it. out of here. <laughs> you have been doing this show, Say Yes, a liturgy of not giving up on yourself. And it now just has been released as a book. How did you get the vision for this show? Oh, wow. See, you asked a great question. Nobody's asked me that question before. Oh, ding, uh, ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. Um, the vision for the show. Well, I, so I went, I went through something like we all have, I, but I had this experience happen to me where um, I just had this moment where <laughs> I put my kids to bed. I walked out of the room and I noticed I was crying, not because of any kind of magical bedtime experience. I just, something was happening to me and I, I couldn't stop myself from crying. And I ended up in my, our only bathroom, just like crying on the toilet for like an hour. And after I, with some time from that moment, I realized what was happening to me as I was like grieving the loss and death of a dream, like a, mm. an idea or kind of a, an understanding of who I wanted to be in the world. And I felt very far from that. And I, and it's personal, but also universal, just kind of, we all hit these moments of like, oh, if I wish, or if it would have only happened this way, or if I would have only known or, and and yet I had this deep desire to still pursue this kind of way of being in the world, this kind of vocational work I wanted to do. And, and I was immediately confronted by these inner voices of fear, or as I call the voice of giving up. And um, I, I, there was like these kind of arguments that kept coming up. And so I started developing these like counter arguments. I knew I needed some kind of pivot or practice against these arguments that were preventing me from moving forward. And, uh, you know, when you make stuff for a living, when you realize something works, you're like, I should monetize this. <laughs> and I was like, don't be a jerk. Like, wait, a, wait a second on it. <laughs> so I, I kind of sat on it for like a year or two and just was like kind of practicing these practices. Um, and then I just sensed the muse, you know, when we start talking about artwork, we're going to get real mystical, but I sensed whatever that voice is that I talked to you. It was just like, I think you should 
you should start talking about this. And so I just started in simple ways. Like the first time was at a live podcast taping because it was could be conversational. And I just literally had like a stack of notes and I was like, here's some things I've been thinking about. And, and then I try to put a structure to it. Uh, I was speaking at an arts conference and I put some structure to it with some slides and stuff. And then, and then um, I had this, and then at that arts conference in Boise, Idaho, that was the day that we found out that Anthony Bourdain killed himself. And uh, I'm not trying to be a celebrity chef, but I think Anthony Bourdain uh, represented to a lot of us who are makers what we hope to happen in our creative endeavors, which is we are unabashedly ourselves. And by doing that, we're successful and it brings us a lot of opportunities for whatever kind of opportunities we'd like to have. And I just, you know, I didn't know him or, and we still don't know quite what was going on in his head. There's speculation, but I think what it said to me was like, he didn't even want to be in his life, but his life looked like a lot of things I wanted my life to be. And, and I, I remember in that moment going, because the answer isn't in the accomplishment, like not, not, nothing you'll ever get will ever fill the lack in you. That's it's an inward thing that you have to in inside thing that you have to do. And I, I think there was just this whole thing where I was like, I want to create one of the muses for say yes is like, I wanted to make a church service about suicide because I'd never been to one. And I knew if I was going to make a church service about suicide, it couldn't be so boring that you'd want to kill yourself while you were there. <laughs> Which and that and that joke made me realize I was like I need to make like a comedy like a a comedy storytelling art show kind of thing because the the conversation about giving up on yourself and the spectrum of that from just numbing out binge watching something all the time to you know taking your own life is is a conversation that we often just have with ourselves we don't bring others into it and so. I knew I wanted to make something that allowed for that conversation to become public because that helps when you're in that conversation. It helps. Um, the first step is solidarity. Uh, the first step in helping anybody with a destructive conversation is to let them give it, give a chance to share and, and speak about our pain. Um, and so I, yeah. So how do you, but you don't want to just, <laughs> you don't want to just be at a sad thing the whole time. So, often comedy and sadness work together really well. And so we have to, so, um, and I've just been watching other performers and entertainers and uh, from comedians to uh, people who do one man shows or one person shows. Um, I went to this radio lab podcast live event and they had like actors and musicians on stage. And so I've been just seeing, I was like, this is the kind of stuff I want to do. So I was like, how can I involve all of these things to have this conversation? And that, and that's, and then uh, I started experimenting, uh, as I, like I started doing it. And I remember there was this moment I'd probably done it like five or six times. And I was talking with my friend, Justin McRoberts, who I've made a couple books with. And I was like, I think I should just like go back and just write it all out and then bring this back out. And he goes, no, I think you should work it out in front of people. Hmm. And that was really helpful advice because, um, so for the, probably the first 
35 shows, I had an intro, which was just like, this is something I'm working out. And I, and I used the gathering as the like experiment to like work on the material. And so much of the show involves the audience. And so they're participants as well. I have to give up a bit of control to let them to make the, we call it a liturgy of not giving up on ourselves. So we're making this like ceremony about suicide, about, about what does it mean to be incarnate? What does it mean to receive the gift of existence? Uh, like, I think we all know that life is a miracle, but we also all know that the miracle sucks sometimes. <laughs> and I think our deep question, if we could ask the giver of that miracle is why all the suckiness? Um, and that is something I wanted to help facilitate corporately and mm -hmm. giving a chance. And so there's ways that I, I do that. I don't, I, I give ways for introverts to share personally, you know? Um, and so that, yeah. And it, it became like something that after about 35, 40 times, I was like, I think I know what this is. So, mm -hmm. um, and then probably a year later and around 75 times, somebody from a publishing house came and saw it and was like, I think this could be a book. And that's, and then, so then during, I stopped touring obviously during the pandemic and worked on it as a book, which was a real different experience because like the show is meant to be experienced. It's like, you're supposed to be in the audience having this experience, but then to translate that into a book is very different. So you have, there's like all these other kind of things I had to learn how to translate it. And what I thought I was just going to like, I mean, I literally did this. I just transcribed the audio mm -hmm. and then started from there. And I was like, this doesn't work the same way because there's so much being left out with pictures and noises and interactions and stuff. So anyways, that's, that's how this book came. So they're both the same kind of thing, but they're the way you experience it is different. A book is a different experience than a show. That's, Absolutely. Yeah. I have so many questions I want to ask you about that. But the first one is I want to rewind all the way back to that moment. And you call it a conversation with ourselves, but you had one on mm -hmm. your toilet. Uh -huh. And it's interesting to me just hearing a man talk about that because I don't hear a lot of men talk about like, why am I crying? I can't stop crying. You know, yeah. I hear my girlfriends <laughs> talk about that, and, but I don't hear a lot of men talk about that. Well, so, <laughs> well I'm glad I could facilitate I, that. I first no, that's great. Your honesty, but I also want to know that was a moment where you paused enough to be self-aware enough that what was happening within you was grief. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have those moments, but we don't pause enough to have that conversation with ourselves to go, oh, this is grief. This is me. And I'm not living the life I wanted to live or that I envisioned living or that I hope to live. And we don't, we don't get there. Why yeah. do you think you were able to get there and recognize it for what it was? Hmm. I think, I mean, I think partly because of the nature of my work, uh, like, uh, as an artist, I just, I'm, my job is to navigate the heart conversation. Um, so there's just a, a vocational curiosity that's there just kind of like mm -hmm. what is what is this what's happening and and also i think too i have to live in this life so so i was like something isn't work like 
on the outside, my life looked really great. You know, I have a, I have, I have smoking hot wife. No, just, sorry. <laughs> yeah, you every, do. <laughs> quoting every pastor. Uh, no, it's true. I mean, I have a, I have a lovely and beautiful friend who I live my life with, and I have great children, and you know, moderate things and comforts, and my life looks great on a global scale for sure. It looks real great on a global scale. Um, but yet, I was like, well, what do I do with this? Like, kind of. It's an interesting question to be like, I wish my life would have turned out differently, or I wish I would have known back then. You know, I was like, I wish I would have known this at 18 because my life would have been different. And and the thing is, like, it would have, but it also, you wouldn't have, you you wouldn't have, you would, I, let me tell you the story. You Because you know this guy, great, my friend Greg Swinehart. Mm-hmm. Swine? Um, Swiney. Greg. Do you know Greg has been, he could have been in Death Cab for Cutie and The Shins, both huge bands. And I didn't know that. Like he was asked by both bands to be in, be their drummer. And each time, like it, Death Cab, right when they were starting, his band, The Pale Pacific was starting and he really wanted to do, do The Pale. And then um, The Shins, something else was going on. He said, no. And I, I remember being on a walk with him. I was like, I can't believe that. I was like, do you ever regret that? And he goes, no. I go, why not? And he goes, because I would have never met Nicole and I would have never had my boys. And those are like the best things in my life. <laughs> I think that answer is so sweet. And just realizing like, if you, often when we compare and go, I wish I would have had that, you don't, like, I'm not the first person to say this. I've heard this from other people. It's like, if you want to compare your life with somebody else, you have to make sure you you compare with everything about their life. You can't just take the highlights of their life and go, well, look what they're doing. Because there's also these, these uh, you know, things that are in the shadows and stuff as well. Like, I, my one of my creative heroes, Mike Birbiglia, is an amazing comedian stuff. But he's got real awful health problems. Like he has to sleep in a sleeping bag at night because he has sleepwalking disease and he's had cancer and all of these things. And he also, you know, but like creatively, he's amazing, but also he tours like 250 days a year. And I'm like, I don't want to be that gone for my kids. I want to tour, but not anyways, you know, we have to, often we can just look at one thing and go, I wish everything was around that, but you don't know what's, what would have transpired, what things wouldn't have worked out, what things have formed you. So then I had to take that moment and go, well, can, if that, if I'm getting in touch with kind of who or how I want to be in the world, can I not adjust my life now? That's the real question in that moment was like, I was almost about, I was about to turn 40. And I was like, can I start now as an almost 40 year old man? And immediately this strong voice was like, nobody cares about an almost 40-year-old man trying to start becoming a performing artist. And I was like, that sounds, that's a very strong argument <laughs> because <laughs> it sounds embarrassing. It sounds, it sounds embarrassing. And, and I had this conversation with my friend Liz about embarrassment. I th- and she was like, in Liz Bohannon, uh, she's like, I think embarrassment is the number one thing that kills people's dreams is is the thought of humiliation is and uh and then i was talking because i've been doing a lot of podcasts i was talking to my friend jonathan martin who's an author in oklahoma city and he told me about this book called uh 
the gift of the dying. Ah, I'm sorry, I'm butchering it. I'll have to look it up. Oh, good. Um, but she, this hospice care worker said that one of the things that happens when you go into hospice care is you have to go through humiliation because you lose your physical capability. You lose your faculties of taking care of yourself and you have to let others take care of you. And through the path of humiliation, you become joyous on the other side. You, cause your ego dies in a way. And I'm putting all those together to say like the <laughs> uh, part of starting over or starting again or starting something new is the path of humiliation. It is the having to let die the assumptions or I'm supposed to be, I'm like, I'm 44. I'm supposed to be an expert by now. I can't start something new. What are you talking about? Where did that narrative come from? You know, that's an awful narrative. There is this path of humiliation, but through that path is a deeper place to stand within yourself and a joy and the unknown surprise of finding others to help you along your way, which is also amazing. So all that to say is like, I... In summary, <laughs> what I'm saying is like, I think I was really curious about like, okay, I'm grieving this, but does that mean I can't move forward? And then I was, my main argument was like, well, it's going to be embarrassing. And that's true. I like, so for me, I realized I was much more of a performing artist than I think a studio artist. So that meant I was like, well, I know I got to start. I never went to theater school and it wasn't a theater kid. Um, or, you know, we, we didn't have acting in my high school or college, whatever. I just, so I was like, well, can I do this now? Can I start doing that? And I for sure have done a, a performance for four people in their living room. I for sure have. I've seen you do some college ministry skits. Come on, come yeah. on. I mean, yeah, I had done, I had been, I had done public speaking and stuff like that. But, but as in like crafting something and then presenting it, I for sure did some stuff in front of five people in a cafe (laughs) uh, two nights in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Like, and those were very forming. There is a path of humiliation. But in that, like, I'll tell you what, that, so I just, I rented out a theater in Franklin, Tennessee, and I packed it out, 250 people. Awesome. Big, gorgeous theater. Like, Patty Griffin played there the night before. And, uh... I, because the stage was a little far from the audience, I wasn't receiving the usual feedback I'm aware of in that show. And so I'm just like, in my head, I'm like, none of this is landing with this audience. Hmm. And it's so, it's such an awful feeling to be giving your all and being like, nobody is getting this or it's not doing anything. If I didn't have those early shows of humiliation, because in that, in that moment, I had to go, is it dependent on the audience or is it dependent on you? Are you're the one who carries the enthusiasm? So I doubled down in that show and gave it, I went even harder and gave it my all. And then at the end, I was like, well, I guess that was like one of the worst things I've done lately. But then I talked to some uh, friends and they're like, no, 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 no. It was amazing. Like people were laughing and, and commenting and responding. And I was like, oh, I wasn't hearing much of that. And so 
like, so what I'm saying is like, there's this necessary part. I don't know. I think that, I don't know that <laughs> I'm so far from your question now, but like, that is, I think what was really interesting was like, yeah, starting something anew is embarrassing, but that's what pursuing your deepest desire is. That's part of the journey. It's, it's the unforeseen gift on the other side is of that embarrassment is like the grounding, the, the knowing like who you want to be in the world, uh, believing in what you're saying, all that kind of stuff. Thoughts, questions, comments, queries, responses. What do you so think? So many, so many. <laughs> I think what's interesting to me is when you're sitting on a toilet and you're crying for an hour because your life isn't what you wanted it to be, what other choice do you have? You're talking right. about the path of maybe being humiliated. And you talk a lot about the beauty that happens on the other side of letting a dream die. Hmm. If you let a dream die and you allow it to be born again, something beautiful can happen. But what if you sit on the toilet and you just keep crying or you just keep hoping that your life is like someone else or you just completely give up and stop dreaming? Yeah. I mean, what was your other option? Besides humiliation? Uh, well, n n numbing out. <laughs> right, uh, which so many through, people are doing. Numbing out through, yeah, binge watching, drinking, um, drugs, sex, whatever. Whatever you, what, what, what is your favorite, video games, what's your favorite way to numb out? <laughs> um, I, I remember, to, but I think, I remember there's a certain heartbreak that comes with acknowledging things didn't turn out the way you hoped. Like I remember having drinks with a friend one night, a pastor even, and he just was like, man, I just don't think I dream anymore. Like, <laughs> and what, you know, I think what he was saying was like, so many things didn't turn out the way that I hoped. I think there's some wisdom where he's just like, I'm very open-handed and I love what I have. But what I heard in there too was like, it really hurts to want something in the world. Want something out of your life. It hurts to want that and to be denied that. And I, and I resonate with that, but I also think like, um, that is the thing you have to fan the flame of being alive in yourself or that flame will go out. And then you'll just feel it's worse living with a... There's a worse, I mean, like I've heard Brené Brown speak to this. I think there's a worse, a more worse pain of not having tried than having tried and failed, whatever yeah. fail means. And that's, that's not how I wanted to live. I didn't want to live with a song in me that I knew wanted to come out. So I think you're right. It's like, what else can you do but move ahead? But I, I do think, I think we know others. I, I mean, I had a friend take her own life last year because she she in her own secret conversation was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to move forward. I just want to get out of this. Um, I think there's a lot of escapism in our culture and in, even in our religion. And um, so I want to, so partly why I'm still hustling this work isn't so, isn't to put money in my retirement fund. It's really because I, I think, I have something to share of, of like how, like, um, like I'm willing, I'm willing to tell my story because I know it's healing for others. Like at the, when I get nervous for speaking, I'm be curious what you, if you have some speaking 
tropes that you do. But like when I get nervous about maybe before a show or something, I, there's like four things I say to myself. I go, number one, I, I went through something. I had an experience. Number two, by talking about it, it's, it, it's healing. To talk about it is to heal. Number three, by talking about it, I heal, but I also, it becomes healing to others to hear somebody else talk about their story. And then four is, this is the kind of work you want to do in the world. And this is how it feels to do this work, <laughs> which is like, it's okay to feel scared or nervous. That's part right. of it. This is how right. it feels. Hey, um, I love yours. Mine are God spoke through a bush. God spoke <laughs> through an ass. God can certainly speak through me. I mean, I got a little, not a lot after that there, Scott. <laughs> so in a lot of ways, you've been doing this tour. It started from your own place of pain and grief. And you started working it out internally, working it out with friends. You start doing this show. You get like 75 shows in. A publisher comes to you. To me, I stand back as someone who's your friend. And I look at that and I go, this is almost like a sociological experiment Mm -hmm. where the show starts to morph, the content starts to morph, the work starts to morph because you are seeing how it resonates with people. They're sharing with you. You're hearing their stories. You're starting to see what's connecting and what's not connecting. So I imagine you've learned way more than you bargained for. And I want to talk about that. How mm. are you seeing people? What have you learned on this tour and this book release about how people are giving up on themselves. I think that phrase even, some people might think that only means suicide. And and it doesn't. It means a lot of other small, giving up in small ways before you get to that. What are you learning about how we're giving up on ourselves? Yeah, I mean, I, well, let's, because you and I both met in a, in a Christian ministry context and still, um, as people of faith work in caring for people's soul formation, spiritual formation. Um, I found this very insidious narrative in certain strands of Christianity in America, which is you're not supposed to want anything from your life. You're only supposed to what God wants. <laughs> and, and, and what God wants is more church participation <laughs> was their conclusion. <laughs> or being directed by leaders on what to do. And there's this, there was this uh, deep, uh, what's the word? Um, not neglect. I mean, a bit of neglect, but a, a wariness about their own, people's own desires. So when I, and then I, when I learned about that it's St. Ignatius uh, in the 1500s, that he kind of is like the, not the founder of spiritual practices, but his writings really laid a framework for what that looks like. But he, he says that uh, there's, he calls it the path of desire. He says that, that God actually speaks the loudest about your vocation, calling, even purpose in life is, is going to be found in your desires. And, and that takes discernment because desire can lead you to flourishing. Yes, but it can also lead you to destruction. So it just depends on what kind of desires and and usually, like when we get to our desires, we have to go to the thing behind the thing behind the thing behind the thing. It's a it's a work of discernment about what we're really trying to get to. Um, 
But when I found that there was something in my Christian tradition that spoke to this, I was like, oh, okay, this is why I keep encountering this. This is, I actually think this is the divine conversation that's in each one of us. But what I found was that there's a certain amount of people who were told, don't trust that. That's evil. That's not of God. And, and they are, it's led them to become embittered religious people who are quick to critique anybody else doing something, quick to critique anybody who's successful, because it really just mirrors their own dissatisfaction with having traded their path of desire for apparent, some other imagined afterlife reward. Um, so that's one thing that I found. I'm really interested in what's hiding in the room when we gather in a room, because I've spent most of my life in a religious tradition uh, that was not like AA, where it starts with our wounds. It's like more starts with our, you know, let's wear these nice clothes and let's have our, you know, everything's formed very nicely. And, you know, I grew up in a Norwegian stoic church that like, it was weird. Like if somebody did something amazing musically, nobody would clap because they weren't sure if that was giving them too much credit, you know, and not enough to God. And so, but what if you just statistically like a room of 300 people statistically 10% of that room is dealing with depression there are people in that room who have been sexually abused who are sexually abusing others who are in some kind of abusive relationship there are people in that room who are considering killing themselves there are people who are deeply concerned about losing their jobs or mortgage. There's so, there are people in, in that room that have seen ghosts, that have seen UFOs, <laughs> that have had weird in, encounters with angels or spirits. They're, you know, like what is in a room? This is what I'm really interested in. It, and I think that's, and so uh, by giving, so I do this thing where I, I, I ask 30 people to answer questions anonymously and then those answers come to the surface. So oh man, the things that have happened that have been revealed, the secrets that have been revealed, the people that people have admitted to having in the middle of affairs. Um, people have admitted to pooping in an elevator and then leaving it. Uh, people have admitted to wow. like the spectrum. The spectrum is you one of my- You just tickets to your show, right? Yeah, I know, I know. There's always in the, there's a, there's five for like, what's a secret we never know. There's It's always a bathroom one. There's always like a poop or pee story, um, diarrhea story. They're really funny. The best one, I laughed. Oh man, it slayed the whole room. It took us a while to recover. But because what I do is I have all these people answer questions and then all of their answers get mixed up uh -huh. and dispersed around the room. So whoever's reading it, it's not their answer. Right. But one was, what's a secret we never know? And it was in Denver. Oh my gosh, it was this older man in his late 60s. And he stands up and he's just looking at it and he just goes, <sighs> and he reads, I've masturbated twice today and I'm not, and I, and I'm uh, not, and I'm not sad about it or something like that. Oh my and we all died. We all died. And we, oh my gosh, we laughed so hard. Um, it's that, that kind of stuff. And, and this is what it's funny and it's, and it gives a chance for people to be honest and all of that on a, for me personally, it's, I think what's who I want to be as a spiritual teacher or leader is for me, I, I believe that the, the, 
the goal of your spiritual journey is not for you to become a better person. I think the goal of your spiritual journey is for you to become a whole person and a whole and healed person. And we have to make, we have to invite our shadow self to the table of our lives. We, and, and I, th- I just think a spirituality that is bent on perfectionism never works. It leads, you know, and I've, I've seen it too often. And even as a trained spiritual director and talking to a lot of vocational pastors, what happens is pastors are asked to do something that's almost impossible, which is to be the same person for the next 20 years. And that's not, and, and to stop being a human and being on a process and journey as well. And that's nearly, that's, it's, it's not possible. And so what happens is often professional religious people become, they're just baby steps to a divided person to where that gap of who they really are and who they have to be is so far that it, it just implodes on itself. Um, and, uh, I want to, I want to create a space and I want to help create stuff that lets people know that like, there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. You are never separated from God's love. You think you can be, but you're not. And, uh, everything's invited to this conversation. And so I want to, I want, I, I, I think to have a conversation, a church service about suicide, we need to say, you know, like my joke at the beginning of the show and in the, at the beginning of the book, it says, we all know that life is a mixture of sacred moments while letting a little fart out at the same time. (laughs) Like we are (laughs) like the Pope has had diarrhea. Mother Teresa had a monthly period. Like we are, we are, yeah, souls, but we're also biological beings and full of fluids and things like that. And that is the interesting juxtaposition of life is those kinds of wonderments and weirdments and ailments and all of those things. And to, to not bring it, we must in a conversation about what does it mean to exist? Are we willing to receive the gift of existence? We must bring all of it in there. Scott, when you think about everything you've experienced in this, in this work and the stories you're hearing, what, what are you hearing is resonating with people? I mean, are you having people come up to you after they read your book or your show? What are they saying to you um, that's striking them most? Um, man, Willow, see, man, do not feel like you don't have good questions. This is a great question. I mean, I have the emails and messages that are like, Hey, I was, I was about to, call it quits and I'm not going to. So those, those are amazing. Um, I, I think what it does and my hope always is like, look, I'll be the facilitator, but at some point you have to, I want to help bring out your own story, your own conversation. And I think what, what is most often is that people, it excavates their deepest conversation. Uh, my friend Justin McRoberts and I made a book, a couple of books on prayer, prayer and may it be so. And our premise for the book was that what prayer is, prayer is the ever-present, ongoing, interior conversation that you're having with existence and the giver of existence at all times. Uh, that often gets locked in or covered up by the hard casing of ego or fear or busyness. And so we use words or images or songs, which we would say these are our prayers, 
the, those aren't our prayers themselves. Those are excavation tools that help us get to that deepest thing. For example, I say, have you ever been in your car and turned on the radio and a song comes on and you turn it up and you're like, oh, this is my song. What are you saying there? What you're saying is somehow lyrically and sonically, the artist perfectly described what it's like to be in your own skin. And you're able to get in touch with that. It becomes a vehicle for honesty. It becomes a vehicle in which you can talk to God. And so uh, in that same way, I'm trying to excavate the conversation of your life by, by, uh, imitate, like by showing you a way, by doing it. And then my goal, and I, and I think I'm fairly successful with it, is by the end, you are listening to me, but you're really in touch with what's going on in you. I'm trying to, through storytelling and art and comedy and group participation and singing and stuff, I'm trying to excavate that interior conversation that's going on with you that you lost sight of, that you stopped hearing or, or got so busy that you got disconnected from. Um, so that, that's, that's really the, the thing I think that's happening and the, the, the responses you know, I get. I mean, you know, this, we are always talking around here about the idea that Jesus collides, that he runs into our lives. We see it in the new Testament, but we experience it in our lives where yeah. he runs into our lives as we are. He can handle when we're on the toilet seat crying and we don't know why he can handle, you know, <laughs> he can handle if we're masturbating twice in one day and we don't feel bad about it. Um, <laughs> He can handle our prayers while we fart. All the stuff you're talking about. God can handle it all. And somehow we've been told he can't. Yeah. Because we, we can't. Because we can't. We don't like. Yes. We don't like that. Yes. We honesty. can't. So we want to let you know he can't. But yeah. that is not true. What do you see in Jesus? You just talked about the work that you're doing helps people get in touch with what's going on on the inside. Um, how do you see Jesus doing that? When when you look at the life of Jesus, how do you see him be the master of that? And you're kind of uh, doing similar work. Yeah. Uh, thank you for uh, saying I'm, I'm like Jesus. Uh, <laughs> doing similar work. In some ways. In some Hopefully ways. it doesn't end the same way. Um, um, public execution. I think it's really apparent if you read the Jesus story, like what Jesus came to do was heal people. That's what he spends most of his time doing is healing people, um, their bodies, their hearts, their societal standings, their hopes and dreams and fears and disappointments, their questions about power. Um, so I, and then, and then I think he also models what it means to be a vulnerable human. Um, and he, and, and he, like, our greatest fear is, um, our greatest fear is like something happening to us that we're not in control of. And we saw, and we saw Jesus willing to let that happen to him and came out on the other side. And I think in that we can also, 
realize that part of the journey of being a human is that we have to say yes to that things are going to happen to us that we're not in control of. Um, uh, and that, and that is part of the journey of being a, a, a person. And, um, so I see, I see that solidarity there. Um, and I, and I see God in that. I just got contacted by a woman on Instagram who's just like, we just lost our 18 year old son to an illness four months ago. And she was like, I can only tell you the only thing keeping us through it is our faith. And for her, it meant like, because, and she sent me some quote that I think was um, Henry Nowen or something. Was it Henry? It was somebody else. One of those guys. <laughs> and it was like, you know, God, we experience God's presence the most in our sufferings. Like, you know, God is with us in our sufferings. And there is some aspect of our lives. There's the truth of our human lives is that we will go through suffering. We will go through loss we will lose things. There are things that we're not in charge of. And um, why that happens and why life is the way that it is, is maybe questions that will be answered at another time. I, I don't know, but I can see that we have a God who's participating in all of that. And so um, it's nothing that we've done. We're not, it's nothing we did that we, we did it. We were wrong. We did it wrong. Um, because God's presence is in the midst of like a human life. So that's, I want to, I want to be like Jesus in that way. Um, I want people, I want to help call people back to like, what I want to do the most is, is just keep pronouncing like, um, that there's nothing you can do to separate you from love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you're doing that work. And Scott, I know you and I, I mean, we called people into our little, it's like our old work office here and we could talk all day, um, but we won't, we won't talk all day. <laughs> but I do think about people listening right now who, who are giving up on something that they, mm. that they deeply care about and are grievous and who maybe even feel like God's love is so far from them for whatever reason. And I'm curious what you would want to encourage them to do today if they're giving up on themselves. Yeah. Um, so when I, um, when I was working on uh, one of the books with Justin, Jesus, before he gives the quote unquote Lord's prayer says, um, your father in heaven knows everything you need before you even ask. So then when you pray, pray like this and gives the Lord's prayer. And I think what he's saying there is like the Lord's prayer is not a checklist of things to pray. It is a practice of a reality you live in. Um, but I remember just going, if you already, you know, cause often <laughs> people with prayer, they're like, well, what should I say? Does God already know everything? So do I have to say it? If God already knows, do I have to say it? That kind of stuff. So I remember I was like, I'm going to practice the, you already know. So, uh, for about a year, uh, I would just wake up early when I, when I could. And, uh, before my kids got up and I'd make a cup of coffee and I'd sit in my living room. I think I started adding a candle in there and I would just sit and I would just go, you already know, 
So what do you want to talk about? And I would sit in the, you already know. Uh, sometimes, sometimes even though I said you already know, I didn't quite believe that. So I would be like, just in case you don't know, uh, I have this and this and this, and I'm worried about this and this. So sometimes I had to remind myself that he already knows. Um, but I also noticed what happened with that time is that when you get quiet, you start walking around the chambers of your heart and you start coming across the places that you feel a lot of shame. And I had to bring the you already know to my feelings of shame and realize that that still wasn't um, enough to remove me from God's love. And the you already know, it became less about the, the details of a daily life. It became more about the, the, the ongoing presence of love that I can't get rid of. And I, and I, so I practiced the, you, you already know. And I remember, you know, I, I've heard it said, it's like, be not afraid appears 365 times in the Bible or something. So it's like one for every day. So I, I call it like the, the practice of being not afraid, being not afraid. Like I let that, I practice that. And I think what I hope to do with the show and the book is if you're thinking about giving up on yourself, for one, like you're probably going through some, something painful and probably the narratives you're telling yourself about your life are what's keeping you stuck. And there's, and we live in a massive culture of comparison and it's really hard to figure out how to start becoming a contribution. And these are some of the main practices that I want to discuss. But I think one of the starting places that we have to get to is just I, I just think at the at the bottom of yourself is a is a room with two chairs. And it's the conversation that you're having with who you are and the giver of who you are. And in that conversation is the answer, which is your beloved. And that is, I can tell you that, but until it's something you've experienced in your reality, it just sounds like a fairy tale, but it's there. So I would say the first place to start is to just start getting quiet and start practicing the, you already know, and see what comes out of that. Mm. I love talking to you so much. I miss you. I'm digging your mustache and your, <laughs> no, your art wall. And I'm so proud of you. It's a very and subtle mustache. I can say that because but... I'm three years older than you, that I'm proud of you. <laughs> you still are? I'm going to catch up. I still am. Hey, I know there's going to be people listening who want to go to a show. Yes. How do they find out if it's in their city? Also, they're going to want to grab your book. How can they do that? Oh, well, books are available everywhere. Um, so just if you type in say yes, Scott, you'll find it. Um, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, T Target, you can get it anywhere. Um, uh, I am Scott the Painter on all, all socials, uh, most active on Instagram. Um, if you message me there, yeah. And if you, uh, I'll, I'll answer. And if you, uh, want to come to a show, I think this is like my last year of doing it. Um, I did a show in Seattle in the winter. I might do one up. I know you're, I don't know, probably people live all over who are listening to this, but I definitely have shows planned nationwide, Northwest. 
I may come back. So if you want, if there's like a special request, I'm, I've been messaging you about Bellingham. I might just rent out that Bellingham, uh, the Mount Baker Theater. Just do it myself. Just do it. Just, just do, do it. it. Just say I'll yes, some, Scott. I'll get some Beham love, Mount Baker <laughs> Theater. Thank you so much for sharing all the love, all the thoughts, all the things. Yeah. Thank you for inviting us to say yes to not giving up uh, on ourselves. You got it. Thank you for being my friend and having me on your wonderful podcast. Wow, friend. I'm so glad that you hopped on and got to hear that engaging conversation with Scott Erickson. He has so much to say to those of us who are beginning to give up on ourselves. And if that's you today, in a big way, uh, we hope that you will reach out and let someone know. We hope that you will seek a counselor, that you will call the suicide hotline, that you will let someone know that you feel like you're giving up. We encourage you to do that. And there's so many in our community who've done that and begun to see healing and wholeness come out of that moment where they reached out for help. And if you're giving up in smaller ways, our hope is that you would know that God purposes you, that God has a plan for you, that God has dreams for your life. When Scott says that nothing will separate you from the love of God, that comes out of scripture in Romans 8, where God promises us that nothing will separate us from the love of Jesus Christ, not mistakes, not shame, not failure, not anything, that you would know that you are loved. That's our hope for you today. And that you would know that God has a purpose and a dream for your life. I wanted to let you know about a Bible study that we wrote for women. It's about 10 chapters and it's new. We just released it this year. It's called Go Ahead. And it's all about believing that God has extraordinary plans for your life. And in fact, at the end of this Bible study book, we have a dream journal where we invite women to begin to dream again for their lives because we believe that God has dreams for our lives. And we want you to begin to believe that God has dreams for you. And so often we see around here in the work that we do with women that we start to give up on those dreams because a few didn't work out. And yet there's still opportunity for you to tap into the reason for which you're here. So friend, we just want to encourage you. I hope that you will keep colliding with Jesus this week and sense that you are so beloved. Say yes to him loving you and purposing you. Keep colliding and we'll catch you next week.